Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. And now a word from our new sponsor, Birdland Sports. Baseball season is finally here. And what better way to celebrate than with some fresh gear from Birdland Sports? As a small business run by Orioles fans, Birdland Sports offers a great selection of unofficial merchandise, including unique designs like Birds Are Coming Tees, Player Cartoon Shirts, and World Series Prediction Designs. And the best part? Their prices are more affordable than the big guys. Get high-quality gear without breaking the bank. So whether you're heading to the ballpark or watching from home, Show your love for the Orioles with Birdland Sports. Visit birdlandsports.com today to browse their collection and gear up for the season. Let's go O's. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome on the Verge. This is Zach Spedden. Joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We will get into the main topic of tonight's show in just one moment, but we want to start off by acknowledging some tragic news that hit the Orioles over the weekend with the death of minor league left-handed pitcher Luis Andres Ortiz Soriano at the young age of 20 years old. Ortiz died of leukemia, and the Orioles, in a statement on Sunday, said, quote, we will miss his passion and love for the game of baseball, and we extend our deepest condolences to his family. Ortiz was originally signed by the Orioles out of the Dominican Republic in 2019 and pitched in the Florida Complex League in 2021. He did not appear in a game in 2022. Uh, on behalf of Bob and Nick, all of us here at On the Verge send our condolences to Ortiz's family and friends, as well as the Orioles organization, during this very trying time. Uh, we'll get in now to the main topic of tonight's show. We are joined by John Mioli, the author of Maximizing Playoff Odds, a Baltimore Orioles newsletter, which is available through Substack, and the contributor to Baseball America, who handles the Orioles' top 30 prospects, which you can currently read over at BaseballAmerica.com and in the Baseball America Top Prospect Handbook, which features... Gunnar Henderson, 
on the cover. So, John, you actually wrote about the cover player this year. I know, I know. I remember feeling a little weird that Adley wasn't on it last year, and I was like, uh, I wonder if it'll be any different. Like, if, if I, I was like, oh, I wonder if it's going to be a different process if, like, the person's going on the cover. And it wasn't, but it just happened anyway. So it was kind of cool to see. Well, we're happy to see him on there um, after Bobby Witt Jr. got the cover last year. So let's start with this question. You've been doing this for Baseball America for several years now. Was there anything about this top 30 list that you thought was different from ones that you've done previously? Um, there were a couple. There were a couple things. Um, as I'm looking at it right now, you know, I put this together in, like, fall, so I always, like, go doing this, like, in the spring, so I remember what it actually uh, – what it actually involved. Um, I think as I'm looking through it now, like the overall top 30, even though there weren't any international prospects in the top 10, um, it's pretty clear that the Orioles' effort to um, sign players in the international market and, and devote resources to that is starting to to come good. Um, I know that you know everyone who um, follows that type of process along around the game knows that it takes time. Um, it takes a, even more time considering that a lot of the players signed in 2019 and then pushed from July 2020 into January the next year were, you know, had, had their development meaningfully impacted by COVID and, and the lack of baseball. And, and it's a little bit of a catch up game, but even with that, there's still, you know, there are players who are going to become much, much more known in the Orioles system um, just by virtue of getting this extra year of experience. And, and I think that's going to be an area where people are talking a lot about as the season goes on. Um, otherwise, I, I can't remember specifically if we talked about it on the top 10 one, but just like the caliber of players that were left out of the top 10 is, is kind of crazy. Like those are always the toughest decisions because people see the top 10 early and, and that's what they focus on. But with guys like Dylan Beavers and Heston Kerstad, um, you know, kind of at those next guys, you know, who were left out of the top 10, but easily could have been in it. Um, you know, those are, those are real players. Those are real prospects. And, and there were Orioles lists that only had a handful of those types of guys before. And now we're talking, it's like a dozen deep. So I think that's probably the headline takeaways. Gunnar Henderson, who is struggling early in spring training. First of all, he's going to make the major league roster, right? At this point. I would think so. Um, I don't want to be the one that's going to say he's not. We had a question about that in the patron group. So I want to get that out of the way. Uh, he'll graduate early in the season and Grayson Rodriguez shouldn't be too far behind which would leave Jackson Holiday as the number one prospect in, assist in the system. What do you think his outlook is for the season? Um, you know, honestly, I think, I think we're looking at somebody who's going to be on the, you know, the 2021 Gunnar Henderson track. He's, I, I, I haven't heard anything that makes me think he's not going to start in Delmarva, even though he got a little experience there last year. He's still really young. Um, and... I think they like that idea of getting, you know, that type of experience and getting his feet under him. And hopefully the same way, uh, I'm sure they hope in the same way that Gunnar Henderson did that Jackson holiday, like starts pretty well there. Um, and then I, I'm interested to see like how he does in Aberdeen, given what we know about how left-handed hitters kind of struggle there and just generally, um, you know, how it's come to be kind of accepted as an offense that, or a ballpark that depresses offense. Um, you know, we have to remember that, like, basically a year on from, like, Gunnar Henderson being, like, the number one prospect in baseball, he was, like, not having a hit for two weeks and getting to Aberdeen, like, in his first full pro season. Like, that was not a – that wasn't a great experience production-wise. I know he, you know, he did a lot of good things that helped him get to the point that he's on, but that was not, like, 
that was not like Gunnar Henderson in the way you see him now at Aberdeen. So, so I'm really going to be focused on that portion of Jackson Holiday's season. Um, I'm sure the Orioles would be thrilled if he got to boo at the end of the year, but, but to face the kind of pitching um, that that league, that high A league presents these pitchers, or these hitters with and to hit in that environment will probably be a really good challenge for Jackson Holiday. I don't think there's any doubt in the Orioles mind that he can handle that kind of challenge, but it's not, it's not a level um, where there's been a ton of offensive success and it'll be a good challenge to see him get there. And that's why when you see like people say he's going to be the number one overall prospect in baseball next year, like that's not, I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but like for that to happen and for him to follow like the offensive trajectory that some of the guys have recently at Aberdeen would be kind of, it would be a curiosity. Love it. Yeah, I just like seeing him, seeing the fact that he's still in big league camp. And I just look to, I, I don't know how much stock we put into, I don't know if baseball reference has that opponent quality rating that you can look up for spring training. And Jackson Holiday is pretty solid, 6.2, which is pushing up there towards a double A uh, competition. So it'll give you a little bit of an idea of who he's facing. But um, looking ahead at a more established prospect who should be on the opening day roster, uh, you wrote a little bit about uh, Grayson Rodriguez today on your sub stack. Uh, but you had the opportunity to also watch him in his last outing down there in Sarasota. What did you see that stood out to you and how do you think he looked compared to some of your looks from last year? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like for the first three innings, like he just looked like Grayson Rodriguez. He was like throwing in the upper nineties. Um, he was locating his fastball. He was getting chase on his off-speed pitches out of the zone. Um, we weren't talking about like, we weren't talking about a lineup of big leaguers, um, but even given that, it still looked really good. Um, it, it was it was reminiscent of like the outcomes and the way that he was kind of in control at the early part of the game of like the Bowie version of him that everyone kind of came to came to like a lot. Um, and then in the fourth inning, like honestly in Bowie too, he would have like innings where he would just kind of be overthrowing and then start to place it and like not be able to do it. The difference is, is this is spring training and he's not built up. Um, so he didn't get to get out of his own jam, but, but I look at, you know, I've seen those innings from him before. Um, he doesn't strand the bases loaded in those, but he doesn't give up six runs in them either. So like he gets a chance to get out of them. And if he has pitches left, he usually comes out in the fifth and like strikes out two guys and then pitches into the six. Like that's just kind of how it's been, um, when he had those. So it was interesting to see kind of that opportunity not given to him there's not going to be any public concern, you know, from somebody like Brandon Hyde about anything like that. You know, if a pitcher knows that he was trying to place the ball and not throw it through the strike zone, like that's easily correctable, especially for someone like Grayson Rodriguez. But, but truthfully watching those first few innings, I was, I was back in a place that, you know, I was sitting in Prince George's stadium, you know, sweating on a, on a night in July. And like, that's what it was. It was the same feeling. Going through that inning that he couldn't get out of, I was listening to Brett Hollander and Scott Garceau on the call yesterday. It sounded like his command got away from him a little bit, and then the balls that were put in play, one of them was hit hard, um, but the others weren't. Was that kind of what happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he was throwing the ball. You know, he wasn't, like, pounding the strike zone. Um, and he was getting into, like, disadvantageous counts. But even as he was getting hit, um, there was one ball that was misplayed. I think there was another one played down the line that like the fielder got to and like missed the transfer. Um, there was another soft hit. I think it wasn't like he was like smacked around. And when I thought like how could the season or how could the spring like not work out for him, 
it was like, this is somebody who can give up like weak contact in the air. And like on a day like today, if he had pitched today and given up like two pop-ups left field, like they would have gone out. And like, that was what I thought would be like, you know, the thing that could like undo him in the spring like this, just pitching in Florida. But that's not really what happened. It was just like, you know, he was not able to, you know, consistently put the ball in the strike zone the way that he wanted to. And that meant he wasn't getting chase um, on the pitches he would have otherwise. And that's not something that's not like a systematic problem for him. That's not characteristic. That's just, that's just somebody who in a, in a moment, you know, to hear him tell it and to hear Brandon Hyde tell it in a moment, like did not go back to what he does well, just was trying to do something else. And I don't think, I don't think there's any larger cause for concern on that, but it wasn't like he was getting smacked around to answer your question. Shifting gears. Um, when we had you on back in the fall to talk about the top 10 prospects list, um, Heston Kerstad was either in the middle of or kind of at the tail end of that run he had in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, he's now followed that up with an impressive spring training. If, considering those two things, what are realistic expectations for him now, this year and beyond? Uh, um, truthfully, you know, I haven't gotten a chance to speak to him in my brief time down here. Um, but I've, you know, read some of the people who have talked to him and it seemed like, you know, I seemed like there was a real like light bulb moment in the AFL, um, no matter the, the, the ballparks or the pitching that he was facing where it was like, it was happening for him and it was happening well. And like, that's something that, you know, that's really important for, for hitters as they're developing, as they're growing into themselves. And that's under normal circumstances and nothing about his development or professional career has been normal. So, so it seems like there was meaningful progress and like seeing the results, believing the results. Um, I don't think anyone doubted that he was going to hit the ball hard and continues to hit the ball in the air. And I think when we spoke last, that you know, the idea of him starting in Bowie next year and, and hitting like having like 15 home runs at the all-star break was not out of the question whatsoever, just because of, um, the type of power he has um, at that level of the minors. It's sometimes harder to get to at that power because um, pitchers know how to attack you and they know how to get you to chase and they know your weak spots. Um, so, you know, we've seen that with other power hitters at that level. It could be a little challenging to make that adjustment and the level of experience and the actual like professional at bats could, could be hitters to that. But like, I don't think there's anything to change his outlook, anything about that, you know, it still was a complete realistic possibility that he was going to be the Heston Kerstad that the Orioles drafted this year. And it would be foolish to read into the performance last year. Um, it's also possible that the inexperience continues to show. Uh, I don't know what the spring, you know, I, I've seen a couple at bats this spring. I don't know what his spring performance really says about what he could do going forward. Um, but on a very basic level, like you just want to see a guy have success if, if, like for the purposes of confidence. And like, that is the idea of, that is the idea of a good spring for him, I think. And I think that it's providing that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I was able to see him hit a couple out the opposite field. It was good to see him turn on one today and just crush it uh, you know, off the glass. Out, was that in Atlanta? I'm assuming. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. And uh, let's see Colton Kowser, a controversial prospect all of a sudden, despite putting up big numbers across three levels last year, Rise in strikeouts and some less than stellar write-ups by some national outlets have made him a topic of debate recently. How has your assessment of Kowser and his potential changed over the last year? Um, I, 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 some of the things that that caused him to fall down the other other list, um, you know, the left-right splits and that type of stuff, and the contact rates, like those aren't 
those are things that people with the Orioles and people who are, you know, are scouts who cover the Orioles, they talk about those things. They see those things. Um, I think there's just different ways to weight them. Um, and, you know, as I sit here and I'm thinking about this right now, you know, if, you know, we're talking about someone like Heston Kerstad who shows, you know, X ability and Y deficiency and like the deficiency is weighted heavily versus like Colton Kowser who can do like X very well and Y not very well, like, but Y is not weighted as heavily. Like, I guess there's, there's some merit to like how you weight those things. Um, but I don't think, I don't think there's any real, um, you know, personally, I don't, I, I've internalized, I've talked to people about like why somebody like Kowser wouldn't be on the top 100 list, why somebody would be, you know, concerned about the platoon type splits. Um, but I'm not sure that my own personal outlook has changed about that. Um, it's just a player that hasn't like, you know, I think lefties traditionally don't see as many lefties as you think they do coming up through the minors. Um, it's something that could probably be worked on with experience. I know the Orioles are pretty aggressive in making sure if you have something that you need to work on like that, that you get the ways to work on it. Um, but I, it, it's interesting. I was actually talking to someone about this yesterday and he was like, yeah, somebody who, has those type of splits, like has no business on a top 100 list. And like, it's somebody I respect. And, and that is like a valid thing. Like if we're talking about somebody who might end up being a platoon player, but you know, even if that's the case, we're talking about like the big part of a platoon, you're talking about like center field capable defense. Um, you're talking about somebody who has the ability to be like an on base, you know, high on base table center at the top of the lineup or like own in on his hot zones and like, be more of a slugger. Like there's a lot of offensive capability there. And, and I think that evaluating prospects and writing about prospects is about, you know, everyone has their own set of criteria for that. Everyone has their own uh, kind of lens to view that through. And those create things that I'm trying to figure out. Those create things that like can be like huge boosters in some cases or huge disqualifiers in some cases. And, and, you know, as somebody who's who does it like you learn to respect other people's processes and what they value um as long as they're consistent with it um so so that's kind of where i learned on that and gunner struggled against lefties because he hadn't seen too many either then he takes ethan small deep in his first triple a at bat or one of his first at least and yeah hopefully he can iron that out but at least he's quieted down the questions of his power seems like even that home run he hit today wasn't exactly win aided no, no, it was, you know, there was wind, but it was, it landed pretty far. It landed pretty far past the fence. Right, we're going to focus on a lot of the pitching here uh, for, for a little bit. So we know a lot of Orioles fans, very curious about the depth of the uh, pitching prospects in this system. But uh, we had Chase McDermott on uh, last week and he revealed that he was ditching the changeup in favor of a splitter. Uh, talked to, he, you know, acknowledged that, you know, finding the strike zone, honing in on that is going to be a big thing for him based on what you've seen and heard. We've heard a lot about the trade partner, the guy that came over at the same time and Kate Povich, but McDermott's more of a, haven't heard as much about him from outside sources. What's it going to take for him to kind of stick as a starter in this organization? I think, I think you probably identified it well. Um, you know, they mm -hmm. love that kind of stuff. They love that kind of, you know, pitch mix. They love the versatility. I know, um, in recently it's kind of become a little more in vogue to like work on a splitter. It's a hard pitch to throw, but it's an effective pitch to both sides if you can. Whereas sometimes, you know, guys kind of get into boxes and like only throw like their change up against opposite sides. I think they feel really comfortable, um, 
with a splitter as a weapon to both sides, and you can you can really um, you can really you can check a lot of boxes just with one pitch if you have an effective one. But um, you know, he he, probably, he knows himself better than anyone else, and like this, I, I think I saw him pitch twice, and one time it was like kind of raining. I feel like it was one of his first buoy starts, and like it was raining, and like they probably shouldn't have been playing, but they did, and it was just kind of a toughie. And then you see him when he is able to consistently. A second time, command the ball in the strike zone. Uh, just the quality of his pitches is is really high. I mean, the Orioles aren't going to trade for somebody or acquire somebody that doesn't have those characteristics. But um, to be able to harness that in the strike zone and and make it so that if you have pitches that move a lot, you know, a they need to look like strikes out of hand. B you need to prove that you can throw them in the strike zone so hitters know that they're not just going to end up in the dirt. And and C you have to do all those things consistently and like pitches a plan and stuff like that. Like it's just you know, for he he had a head start a little bit and like being in the Astros pitching program and they did a lot of things similarly from what I understand, but but he also moved pretty quickly last year and and I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunity for growth there. On your list, McDermott is in a range that has a lot of interesting arms in it. Justin Armbruster, Noah DeNoyer, Drew Rahm, and Carlos Tavera. And we know that as part of the process of baseball America follows, risk factor is part of these grades. When you consider that section on the list, who do you see as maybe the safest pitcher in that group? And then on the flip side, who would be the riskiest? Oh gosh, do we? I'm sorry, did we count Povich in this mix? Yes or no? Uh, no, Povich. Is okay, the Povich. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, gosh, safest, riskiest. Um, this is challenging. Um, I think based on, and this is not to do with. I'll insert the Jeopardy music uh, in post. Yeah, this is this is fantastic. Uh, this is fantastic <laughs> audio, and, and I mean, it's all I, you know, mileage may vary on whether it's quality video either. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, I think that Noah Denoyer has a pretty like high floor of being like some kind of he's really contributor just based on um, he's on the roster, and you have you have uh, you know you have a good fastball, you have quality pitches. Otherwise, um, I think that's pretty safe. Um, I. Gosh, I don't want to say Drew Rahm is the most risk, but we just know that like it's so so challenging to be like a left-hander who needs to mix his pitches and locate perfectly and not have an overpowering fastball. Um, pitching in this division and pitching for the Orioles, um, I'm sure, I'm sure the part where they move the wall back, you know, 20 feet or whatever it was, is is good for that. But like <clears throat> through no fault of his own, like that that's it's just a risky profile. Um, and, and, and I would also say just by like, there's risk. There's risk everywhere. You know, McDermott with the strike throwing. You know, Carlos Tavera with the the amount of innings. I don't think that like I don't think there's anything necessarily more safe or more risky. But like I was thinking about it when I was over at Twin Lakes. Like, who are we talking about? The guys we were talking about in this portion of the list, like the pitchers last year. Um, you know, you had uh, like Kyle Burnovich. You had like we're talking about like Peak and Young and like Pinto and like in this range, like. You're taught you're you just there's just so much, you know, volatility from year to year. You know, injuries can happen. Guys can guys can kind of go sideways stuff wise. You have guys who can do what the guys who we're talking about did and jump onto the list. And I think that's what one of the things that makes following this system and, and paying attention to it fascinating because the way they develop pitching um, really lends itself to there being like a breadth and depth of it. I know I'm just doing a terrible job of answering this question, but I did think about that as I was over at Twin Lakes, like all these guys that we were talking about, like, oh, could these be the guys who make the next step, which is really what we're thinking about with these guys. Like, 
what are these guys going to look like in AAA? Like, what, who's going to push to the big leagues? Like, the reality is it's just pretty much none of the guys that were in this mix last year ended up doing that, like having healthy seasons, being able to follow up. It's just really challenging, and that's why you kind of pause when you're thinking about, like, a, a safe and risk uh, assessment there. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And my question is kind of along a similar vein. Um, is this the season that puts the Orioles pitching development theory? You know, you've discussed it a lot on your, your mailbag, your Substack about how they target the guys that they think they can develop. Uh, is this a year that, you know, that kind of gets put to the test a little bit with Elias's own guys, Denoyer, Watson, Armbruster, Tavera, reaching the upper minors and starting to break into the majors? I think so, but I think for a different reason, honestly. I mean, the Orioles pitching process, like project is going to be, I would say, like 75% defined by like how Grace Rodriguez does in the big leagues. Like that's that's going to be um, – and that's mainly because like people who – you know, there are people who follow it closely and kind of know the names we're talking about and like understand that like – when you're drafting where they draft and getting players to, you know, in the avenues that they do, that you're not going to get the Grayson Rodriguez and people look at the Grayson Rodriguez's. Um, so for Grayson Rodriguez to prove to be the real deal, like I think just be like really beneficial for like as an endorsement for this pitching plan versus other ones where the Grayson Rodriguez types, you know, for whatever reason didn't launch. Um, I do think that there is, going to be real opportunity for more of those guys to like push into that level. Um, the more guys get to the high minors and the more they have success, like at some point that becomes real. Um, and at some point, like a chance is required. And in, in a lot of these cases, it's not going to be because there's, you know, smoke and mirrors or because it's like deception. It's because of the, of the stuff and the way that they target stuff and the way they develop stuff and the way that they, identify you know the pitches and the traits that work and make them better um because of the coaches because of the analysts all that type of stuff so 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 yes i think there is a pretty big opportunity for someone to be like that like lord knows a pop-up guy any kind of guy who you know comes from that level and becomes like a top top tier pitching prospect does that trick but i think i think grayson rodriguez and whether he is you know what he's supposed to be is going to have just as much if not more influence on that Speaking of pop-up guys, maybe going a little bit deeper here, uh, outside of the, the top 30 list that you got over at Baseball America, there's also 10 extra Orioles names to know. And maybe this would be drawing more from that list or maybe some guys that you've got your eye on outside of that list that you maybe wanted to include. Can you give us some some John Mioli breakout picks for 2023? Are there like a hitter, a hitter and a pitcher that you think Orioles fans or more people outside of Birdland even are going to know this name by the end of 2023. Um, so we're talking outside, outside the top 30 guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Um, yeah. Let's make it tougher for you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like feeling really unprepared right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, um, I think that, gosh, I think on the, on the pitching side, I think, I keep looking at all this. I keep looking at this like a doofus. Um, I've talked about him a little bit. Actually, no, I'm not going to go with that one. This is such bad audio. I'm sorry, guys. I'm ruining your podcast. <laughs> um, I'm going to go. I, I'm going to. I'm going to break the rules. I, I, I think that people know about Carlos Devera. I don't think that anyone, you know, he 
he's in the top 30. Um, I don't know how many top 30s he's in um, or where he is in other yeah. rankings. But, like, I think that the pitcher who got hurt last year and ended up, you know, not being able to finish the season for health reasons um, cut short. Like, what was, was going to be a really, really impressive year? I mean, he was, like, there were stretches where he was ridiculous in Aberdeen. Um, and you, we, we would be having a lot more significant um, conversations about him. I think that's like a breakout type that I think that's a breakout type that you kind of want to keep an eye on Um, outside the top 30 for hitters is a little more challenging for me because I feel like any, like, I feel like there's a lot of hitters who are, you know, properly rated there. Um, I'm going to go with, again, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say number 30, Anderson De Los Santos. I saw him, you know, he hit a bomb uh, in one of the minor leagues in games um, recently. Um, he just looks like really athletic and like really like one of those, like he just looks the part and, and like seeing him for one minor leagues in game. Um, and, and I know they're really excited about him. So I didn't answer the question well, and I didn't actually answer the question at all, but, but I'm going to go with those two. Um, but, it, but it's interesting, you know, like you talk about like what a sleeper is. Um and, and like so many guys like qualify but don't qualify um that like i don't know i'm just rambling i'm sorry no i i like those picks i'm hoping carlos tavera is a dude in this system i, I know met blood's pushed his name out for two years now and, and it's also good to hear that it sounds like he's he's gonna be ready to go when the regular season starts i know you mentioned there was you know, the, the issue that um ended his season shortly but he's he's good to go yeah, I saw him throwing a, uh, I, I I saw him throwing a bullpen when I was over there on Thursday, and you know it's from the side, it's from like you know, fifty feet away. But you kind of you know, he was doing what he what everyone else was doing, and I think that's a good sign this time of year. Yeah, I think people are sleeping on Anderson Daler Santos a little bit, so I like that pick. He's not a top thirty on on everyone's list. And uh, I thought you were going to say Trace Bright for a pitcher, and that would have helped my uh, locked-on draft because I, I have him as my number four starter over there. But I, um, you know, true life, I have, like, my notes document over here, which is, like, 40-something pages long. And, like, every single person I talked to, I asked for their sleeper, and he came up, like, four times. So, like, literally, if I'm looking for sleeper, I have a heading here that I'm staring at right now. Like, it's just his sleeper. And, you know, on his, it says, just his ridiculous track, man, which, you know, is what you want. That's what I wanted to hear. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Sticking with pitching, and then we'll kind of pivot to other areas of the organization. Uh, with D.L. Hall missing time this spring, you wrote recently about that scenario, and I think you correctly pointed out there really is not an ideal situation right now, at least in the short term, because he's either going to have to go back to AAA or he's going to have to work out the bullpen, at least at the start of the year. So with that in mind, what do you think the Orioles ultimately are going to do with him? And that, I guess I acknowledge that we have not seen him throw this spring, so that makes it a little tough to guess. Yeah, I want to say I want to say Brandon Hyde said yesterday that games are like one step away. Like there might be a sim game, and then and then game games. Um, I would say that you know, if, if sitting here right now, if if you had to make me say what they're going to do, I think that they'll err on like keeping him a starter. It doesn't seem like the bullpen is going to be really anywhere near full strength. Um, you know, it'll be a lot stronger if Felix Batista is able to pitch on opening day or very close to it. But, um, 
you know, there's going to be a lot of temptation, I think, to have him, you know, in that stuff in the bullpen. But I have not gotten any indication that they're ready to give up on him as a starter. I don't think there's any reason to. Uh, that's my personal opinion. Um, but I think they also realize that, you know, what you're dealing with when it is working is really, really impactful. And, you know, really we're talking about somebody who, even though you consider him healthy last year, it was a slow buildup and there was, you know, they needed to manage his innings. Like that was really his first full healthy season in a long time. So, so you build on that, you know, just because you got through that checkpoint doesn't mean you go in a different direction. Um, you build on that. It might ultimately be better um, because if he was out here in spring training games, like throwing 99 with like three at least plus pitches and like carving up lineups and then you have to put him in the rotation and like who knows what's going to happen. So maybe a little more time with Justin Ramsey down in Norfolk and, and really like solidifying what, what he worked on last year and being the best version of himself and most importantly applying what he learned in the big weeks. Like, it wasn't a smooth ride for him, but he, I think, pretty well internalized like what he needs to do to succeed, um, and also in moments had reinforced what he does well and and how he should, you know, continue to do those things. So if you take somebody who has that experience, even though it's not an ideal situation, and he makes five starts in Norfolk and they're a lot better, then you're going to feel really good about the fact that you didn't stash him in the bullpen and have him pitch like the fifth inning in Texas next month, you know. I'm looking at the system as a whole for a minute. We're used to seeing international signing. We're still new to the international signings for the Orioles, relatively new. Um, and the player development paths they take. Considering that, when is it okay to write off a prospect? Because we've seen Michael Hernandez now struggle two years in a row. Um, concerns about whether or not he's going to hit it to plate. And then on the flip side of that, you see a guy like Frederick Ben Cosme break out the way that he did last year and you look at the hype coming into this season for Samuel Basayo, when do you think it's okay to buy the hype and be completely bought in on a player? Um, I, I, to, to take the first one first, um, you know, there's going to be a point at some, like with a lot of the recent international signings where like, there's just not time to be patient anymore, but, we're talking about a class of, of two classes, really. I mean, even if you want to talk about the 20, the next, like the most recent class, like there's been a lot of development time impacted. Um, that's not to say a lot of development time hasn't gone into like getting these players into the system and accustomed to the system. Um, but it's just, I would say that like you need to give like a lot of rope um, in, in these. I think there's also like, not only guys that don't perform in, in the FCL, but like even guys that struggle going to Del Marva, like most of them wouldn't have been in Del Marva last year, for example. I know Hernandez doesn't fit into that category, um, but but you're going to see a lot of Del Marva repeaters this year just because they didn't have Aberdeen to do that. It's almost like if you portion up the season last year, like you basically had like Del Marva season was like three Aberdeen seasons, like playing a level up and like sometimes not having the best time at it. Uh, so I think that I think that this is probably going to be here just from a numbers perspective, like where some of those players who haven't really taken off yet need to need to in order to justify their spot in Delmarva the following year, like really show that they've got it. Um, but I think on the flip side, when we're talking about guys like when do you buy the hype? Um, 
I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, it's not just like stats based. Somebody like Basayo, <clears throat> you know, anecdotally, I was told like even though he had six home runs last year, there were like five to the warning track. And like maybe that means something, maybe it doesn't. Like, but if he has 11 home runs in the FCL, like how different is the conversation that we're having? Um, you know, I flip side, I talk to people who are like, yeah, you know, he, he hit a little bit, but like there were like the game I saw, he like, didn't catch like six balls and it's like, Oh, you need to do that. Um, we're talking about players who have a lot of development ahead of them. Um, even some like Ben Cosme, the same thing. Like he gets a lot, makes a lot of contact. Um, some of it's strong contact. Some of it's not that strong. And I know the Orioles really emphasize making that like hard contact. It's a pretty tough transition to be like one of those hitterish, like puts the bat on everything guys um, and really hone in on those, those zones. The Orioles want you to swing into. So like, that's a long answer to like, a simple question. I think it's, I think you look at where they are age appropriate wise. You look at production, you look at um, what's leading to that production and, and whether it's like sustainable contact, sustainable, um, you know, strikeout walk type stuff. And it's kind of like a holistic picture. But, but I think like the, the reason to ask is like, because there's going to be opportunities probably this year to say, Oh, like there are legitimate international prospects that have come out of this system and I think that when you see it, you know, for a year, for two years on the on the full season level, then it's hard not to acknowledge that that's real. So we talked about how the bullpen, you know, there's a couple injuries. Maybe Felix Bautista doesn't start the year with the club. Maybe he comes in a week later or less. Or Anyway, there's seems to be some openings for guys like a Michael Bauman, a Rule 5 pick Andrew Politi to maybe grab one of those last spot or two in the bullpen. How do you see that shaking out? Um, I'm, I'm pretty fascinated to see what happens with Bauman. Um, I think that I think that the, what they did last year was was pretty smart in like letting him start and like continue on that development. You also get the benefit, kind of the same as D.L. Hall. Like, hey, you got a taste of this, but like, why don't you just go and be a starter for X long and say like I'm applying what I learned, I'm doing what I'm good at, I'm tweaking things, I'm I'm, I'm gripping this pitch differently, X, Y, Z, and do that stuff where, where you can so that you get the benefit of that major league time. Um, I think that, you know, I, I, I feel like it was last weekend, um, not this past weekend, the weekend before, that Michael Elias was on the radio basically saying, like, there's not that many, like, bullpen spots up for grabs. It was during one of the broadcasts. He said that there's a lot fewer of those than, than you usually have. Um, I haven't, you know, spent any meaningful time watching Andrew Politi. Um, and I'm sorry about that. Um, I don't even know if he's pitching the game I've been at, but I think that there is, you know, a lot of value to try to keep that kind of arm if you can. Um, but I think there's going to be a pretty, I think there's going to be a need for long relief types. Um, and you know, this organization is about a lot of things, but they're all they're very pretty dogmatic about like keeping as many players who they like as possible. So like that usually means guys with options get optioned guys who don't have options or they can't option, like stick around and then you kind of figure it out as you go along. So depending on if, if they, if the stuff in like the player or what they think it is with Politi, like I wouldn't be surprised if they gave it a shot. Um, if you're talking about somebody like one of those guys with options versus like an Austin vote as a reliever, like, you might err on the side of the guy who's like going to be on the roster and like they can't get rid of because they just want to keep him around. So that's kind of how they've operated in the past. And, and that's how I'm expecting they operate this spring. 
We'll see. We, there's been a lot of chat, especially in the Patreon group. I know about Michael Bauman, and I think we talked about him last week. I didn't realize he's already like 27 years old. Um, I feel like he's been around for a long <laughs> yeah. time. Um, but looking at this organization, zooming out a little bit more, 2022 was a pretty healthy year at the major league level, at least, other than you know, John Means, uh, Tommy John surgery. But this spring, other than the little bullpen bumps at the very beginning, like day one in camp, uh, we haven't really heard too much about you know, unfortunate injuries either. Are the Orioles doing anything different from a strength and conditioning standpoint, or has it just been kind of luck that we shouldn't be expected to continue? I guess it's kind of relevant now I'm thinking about the Ravens discussion and all their strength and conditioning <laughs> hazards. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think they're getting an F minus. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, and, and this is not having any inside knowledge of what happens yeah. like in the training room or in the weight room or anything, but I think that. I think they have pretty targeted programs for um, like what somebody needs to do movement wise, like get them moving the right way, whether it's swing or whether it's delivery type stuff. I would imagine just based on the number of like hamstrings that blew out last year that they're like really, really being aggressive and making sure that doesn't happen again. Um, but honestly, we're talking, you know, I know Ryan O'Hearn like did something to his new recently, like poor Joey O'T's got like, a chopper to the head while taking round balls or something. But like, if that's like, that's like, that's not like a, you know, I'm not downplaying brain injury. So I'm just going to stop talking. But like, those aren't the types of things that we're talking about in terms of like in the, in the training room. So, so I do think they, I don't know if they're doing anything different necessarily. I think they're doing, I think it's kind of like everything else in this organization where they like put a lot of time and energy and resources into doing things, you know, as well as they can be done um, and doing them in a relatively progressive manner. Um, but it does, you're right. It does seem like, you know, that Gunnar Henderson wrist injury was a little bit, was, was, you know, kind of a red flag early in camp. I feel like, you know, it's just like a Michael Elias like injury bomb on the first day. And it's like, okay, all these guys are hurt. Great. Um, but like, it really hasn't been that bad since. So, you know, that's a good camp. That's a good camp from, from their perspective. I'm sure. So, um, we're all excited about seeing prospects fill out the spring roster. And it seems like they're pretty much all making good presence with the opportunity that they've been provided so far. I know you've only been down there a few days, but what has the vibe been like around the team, given that most of these guys could make their major league debuts this year or sometime soon after? Yeah. I mean, it seems like, it seems like one of the, you know, in the past, even recent past, like, to be a young player in like a big league clubhouse could be challenging because there's just not that many of you like these guys who spent like last year or like, you know, we're hanging out in Altsite a couple years ago or in Bowie the year before, or like spent a lot of time in Bowie or in Norfolk last year. Like they're not like a little click. Like they kind of are the click. <laughs> like they're, they're the older guys who have been around a little longer and he's like, you know, have families and like, or, you know, and then there's just like, I feel like, they're like setting the tone and this is just like a couple of days in the clubhouse. I'm not in there a lot, but I feel like the young players are from what I've seen, like very comfortable being themselves. They're acting the same way in the big league spring training clubhouse as they would in between BP groups and Bowie and Aberdeen. And like, it's just interesting to see that, um, you know, doesn't seem like anybody's really put a foot wrong or like done stuff that they shouldn't have done. Um, it also truthfully doesn't feel like a place where like, you know, there's no Brian McCann, like, making sure nobody steps on the, the carpet logo in the, in the clubhouse and, like, yelling at people for not following unwritten rules. Like, I think it's a pretty chill environment, so, like, that's good. But, um, 
you know, it, it's it's been pretty interesting to see like how smooth of a transition it is. I've heard, you know, from some of these guys and, and people around them, like how welcoming um, the older guys have been and how they've been helpful. And like, it's really all you can ask for. Honestly, it seems like the team kind of had that in mind when they made some of these acquisitions this offseason. I know it wasn't exactly, you know, the offseason fans wanted, but you get guys like James McCann, Kyle Gibson, Adam Frazier, who are seem like they're pretty well known for being good clubhouse chemistry guys. So maybe that's working out. Maybe that's the, uh, what was it, the MVP machine or Astro Ball that was like why they brought in Carlos Beltran, like that, that aspect that you can't exactly uh, quantify exactly. But yeah changing subjects completely does it mean anything that hudson haskin wasn't invited to big league spring training as a top 30 prospect while these other guys did or is it more about hey we'll give robert neustrom one last chance to prove himself and it just was a numbers game yeah i, I lean towards numbers game um I, honestly I, I went over there he's one of the guys i talked to when i was at twin lakes it'll be landing in you know everyone's email in the morning uh it was convenient but slightly inconvenient that he hit the home run and everybody got talking to um but i, I it kind of seemed like a numbers deal to me um i know that you know especially the types of players like when you look at where his playing time would be like there's not going to be a lot of playing time in center field uh, with mullins and hayes and mckenna and then colton kazer being like you know the designated six hitting seven center fielder in a lot of these games like not going to get a lot of time in center and given how, um, you know, the corner spots are, A, accounted for on, you know, when the starter level would be, like, occupied by all these, like, I don't even want to call them backup first baseman competition people because there's not really a backup first baseman competition, but all those types, you know, those non-roster, like, slugger types, like, there's just really didn't seem like there were a ton of places for him to to play and get those opportunities, and, and you know, I can't imagine he was thrilled with it. <laughs> um but he is spending, you know, he mentioned today that, like, he's gotten a lot of the bats. He's gotten a lot of work in, in, in at Twin Lakes and going to early camp and getting through stuff through the early, you know, full minor league spring training. So while it's a good experience and while, you know, I'm sure in, in his heart, he would probably trade, you know, 200 mixed BP sessions at Twin Lakes for, for 10, like, big league spring training at bats, like, there's a world where this would this worked out um probably in his favor um but he also you know showed up today and he had a home run so if they it's easy to say like hey maybe you should have brought me on um i'm, I'm sure i'm sure he had a little bit of that thought as he's around the bases and and who would something here is a quick question about haskin because he feels like he's one of those prospects that does a little bit of everything right Yet yeah. it feels like maybe it's because of the depth in the system or the unorthodox swing label that he got tagged with in college that he hasn't gotten the widespread recognition yeah. that you might expect. What do you think he has to do to sort of put himself at the next level of that conversation when we're talking about him as a guy that could contribute to the major league roster in some way, shape, or form for a long time? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think there's just like I, I think it's kind of what we were just talking about, like where where does he go? And it's not like a it, it's not an issue in Bowie, like he was a fantastically productive player last year, um, by by all the surface stats. Um he played center field well when he was called upon. He played his, his positions well, like wherever outfield spot they put him in well, but 
but you're now you're getting into like the business end of you know his development and where what path are you going to take um He'll probably play some center field in Norfolk, but he's not going to play a lot because Colton Cowles is going to play a lot of center field. And like, that's just the reality of that situation. Um, and then you need to, um, you know, kind of look at whether his back can support a corner outfield spot. And, you know, there are some indications that it can. And, and I know he told me, and, you know, I'm just spoiling, you know, I'm just giving away, giving away the goods, but like he told me he put on a lot of weight and he was working on like, you know, being more durable throughout the season and, you know, doing some things with a swing to make it a little more forceful and use his lower half a little bit better and, and iron out some of those inefficiencies, all those things you want to hear because, you know, it's a person that has been able to hit even before that. So if you add the strength, if you add um, the swing efficiency, something the Orioles are really, really big on getting guys to do, like then you get to the spot where somebody continues to grow into his, um, you know, grow into his body and, and physically develop a little bit more, then maybe there is that possibility that he can support a corner spot. But but to play center field um, in this organization right now is probably going to be a challenging hill for him to climb, given what they have and like what's coming up behind him already. Um, so so I think that's part of that. that it, to me, that's probably part of why. Um, you know, I can't speak for, you know, people who, on the outside who are you know, evaluating him in, in one way or another, or who are, you know, not inviting him to spring training. That's just kind of my take on it. But, but I think everything I heard from him, you know, speaking to him a couple of days ago was pretty, uh, it, it felt like he was addressing some of those things and, you know, and, and he, he doesn't really think that there's any reason why no matter who's here, you can't, can't play center field. And that's what you're supposed to think if you're a baseball player. So all good things. Just keep eating the Olive Garden cheesecake. That was the night before he hit those three home runs and went to Olive Garden cheesecake, which is weird in itself. But uh, no, hold on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You answered this question kind of uh, in your last answer, but uh, a lot has been made of this backup first base battle. Is that a thing that that is real? Uh, and whether or not it is, any what do you think the odds are that any of the guys that Lewin Diaz or Usenail, if you're in Philadelphia, I guess, Ryan O'Hearn, Josh Lester, French Cordero, any of those guys make this roster bar an injury? It seems like it's slim chances. Um, and I'm, and I'm like, I don't think any of them are on the 40, right? So like, yeah, they no. could theoretically have some space, but like, that's not really, um, you know, I don't think so. I think, you know, I, before I, I've always been kind of a, you know, a, you don't need a backup first baseman, especially if Santana there can stand there. You know, Adley's played first base in the minors. James McCann is planning on her, plays planning on it. Um, you know, you can you can piece piece together backup first base if you really need it, especially if those bench spots are going to, you know, Kyle Stowers, Darren Vavra, a McKenna type. You know, you have your bases pretty well covered there. Um, it's not like they don't have versatile pieces elsewhere on the bench to not carry a like a first, like a backup first baseman where we're not talking about like a Pedro Alvarez who's like write him in for 30 home runs. We're talking about guys who are like reclamation projects. And that's kind of the, that's kind of what I think this is really all about, you know, because of how we talk about spring training and how spring training is covered and discussed. Like it becomes like a backup first base competition, but it's just like, seems to me like it was like an unintentional accumulation of like, reclamation project like slugger types who hit the ball hard and hit the ball in in good 
um, you know, hit the ball well. That's a dumb way of putting it, but like they hit the ball hard and they make good contact. And and for whatever reason, there's something that's keeping them from doing that consistently at the big league level. And the Orioles have the means, you know, through their coaches, through their strength staff, through their development overall development program to like improve those type of guys. And like, there are a lot of bites at the apple there. Like, I think the thinking is that like getting them in this system, getting them doing the drills they do, getting them working on the things the Orioles hitting coaches are trying to get guys to work on is going to help someone become a consistent big league hitter. And the types of players are talking about, there's like significant power potential there. Um, so like the short answer, like it's a long answer again. Um, but there is a lot of, there is a lot of like power potential and there's a lot of effort going into unlocking that because there's a lot of value to like a cheap slugger. And that's, that's really what they want more than a backup first baseman. I think they're trying to find some, some cheap pop. You don't want to say their own Justin Turner, but like you can say their own Luke Voigt and like not be wrong if that's the type of thing they're trying to do. It's a good perspective on it. And I'll go to this question and then I think we'll get into some listener questions after this, but do you see the organization as it sits right now, at least in terms of the players who are, could make the major league roster standing pat or would you not be surprised to see a last minute trade kind of like we saw last year where Tanner Scott and Cole Saucer were dealt to the Marlins? Um, I think you probably stand pat. Um, I thought it was going a different direction talking about like what they're going to do down the road. Um, I think it's probably more of a stand pat situation than, than last year was. Um, I think that like I'm in my mind leaving open like some kind of like roster surprise, like somebody who's expected to be there not being there. But I don't think it's that type of trade. Um, I think that was a pretty unique situation where like they thought and, and proved to be right. I mean, I shouldn't. I don't even know if I want to give them credit for it. Like they had no idea what the bullpen was going to look like. They had like literally all waiver claims in there, and like all of them just like coalesced into this really good bullpen. But I think they thought that for the you know for the value and for the prices and for the players that like they could make that trade last year and like and not be materially different and i think it proved to be relatively right i don't see any areas like that other than the areas that they already would have made trades for and we would have already talked about ad nauseum um you know you know we've seen people we've seen infielders get injured in spring training and clubs kind of needs arise and like there's all the Orioles infielders are still here so you just kind of assume that that's what's going to happen. Um, I think that's really the only spot that they would do that. Um, maybe they could find a taker for a start, like one of their like 4A starters, but who's who's really giving those away if they don't have to and the Orioles don't really have to. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if there's any trades like that, but, but you know, I remember being surprised and a little confused when they traded Tanner Scott and Cole Seltzer last year. So, you know, take this for what it's worth. Got some questions from our patrons, and I'll let Bob start off this section of the show because we've got an interesting mix, some prospect-related stuff, and some focused more on the major league roster. Yeah, we you kind of actually just touched on this a little bit, but Ben Doris wants to know, how do you see the AAA slash MLB influx of infielders ultimately shaking out both short-term and long-term? Gosh. Do I, do I just say slowly? Like we, like I think it's going to play out slowly. Honestly, um, 
you know, there are there's a universe where like based on what he did last year and like his talent that like Jordan Westberg could be like starting the year in the big leagues. It doesn't seem like that avenue's there for him. Um so it's just a wait your turn situation. You know, we know that they want guys to get a lot of triple A experience. So like that pushes the clock back to for like Joey Ortiz and, and Connor Norby. Like I just think this is gonna play out pretty slowly, to be perfectly honest. I don't know. Um and I think that's partially to let whatever is going to happen, happen. Um, there's not a, you know, I think outside of like, you know, Jackson Holiday, who doesn't really count in this conversation, like Gunnar Henderson, who's already in the big leagues and like his number one prospect in all baseball. Like there's not like any kind of clear consensus internally or externally about like who of these guys is going to be like the best or who's going to make it or who's going to not make it. Um, so I think they're just gonna like it's gonna it's gonna be really like unpleasant, but I think they're just gonna take their sweet time and like let it figure it out. And like if all of them have nine hundred OPSs in Norfolk in July, like that's great. And if one of them does, then that person wins. And like I think I think they're literally just gonna let it play out. Um, Long term, I think that my preference and potentially their preference is going to be guys who hit left-handed and play shortstop and can play shortstop because that means you can play every other position um, and, and can defend well. So I think I'm interested to see how, especially in the first half of the year, I think it's pretty different from one half of the year and the other to Norfolk. Norfolk in the first half is like a very tough place to hit. And then it kind of opens up in the second half as it gets warmer. Um, so I think, I think, the true talent is going to rise, but it just might take a while. I know it's not a good answer. I'm not giving like everyone like 2025 starting Orioles infield. It's, 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 it's going to, it's just like, it's, it's just comp. Like it's just a lot. There's too many players, honestly, there's too many players. And I think that that makes it's like crippling like on the outside and probably on the inside too, because when you have that many choices to make, like it's pretty easy to make the wrong one. So there's just no reason to make a choice now. It's like picking what you want to watch on Netflix tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm really bad at that. If you can believe it, I'm really bad at that too. <laughs> um, I mean, at least that's a good problem to have that we're talking about here. Is is Connor Norby going to make the major leagues ahead of Joey Ortiz and Jackson Holiday and, and all these other guys? But uh, yeah. Towns wants to know, in a best-case scenario, we've, I think we've kind of touched on some of these guys, but how quickly could some of the top 2022 draftees and Heston Kerstad make it to the big leagues? Um, you know, I think, I think you're looking at like, other than like an exceptional case, like the Gunnar Henderson case, like him and Adley are basically the only two guys who have made it to the big leagues, like in under two years, um, of full season ball, um, in 2020, obviously impacted that a lot. Um, but it's pretty clear how long they want people to be at certain stops given experience levels and how. They value, you know, the amount of plate appearances and success they have at those places. Like Aberdeen seems like it's in the 200, 250 range. And like Dylan Beavers could get to that in May. Um, you know, Jeff Fabian can get that in May. And then you spend the rest of the year in Bowie. And then they like to spend a lot of time in Norfolk. Um, it's just kind of how it works out. So, um, you know, so 2022 draftees, you're talking about like the end of 2024, maybe. Um, and Heston Kerstad maybe a little maybe a little faster because you know if he becomes the player you know he becomes a player that you know 
they wanted him to be, they need to add him to the roster. Um, and you probably add him to the roster anyways, if we're being completely honest. So then you have to talk about um, then the conversation changes because he's an option. So I think he might be a little different case, but, but by and large, I think all those guys are going to start in, in Aberdeen again this year. I think they're going to uh, benefit from having been there last year, and it'll be pretty interesting to see how well they go um, and how quickly they move. So Vivek here actually has a question more about your writing. You've been doing the newsletter now for a little more than a year. He wants to know how you have liked going solo and writing um, and diving deep into the Orioles system. And how does that compare to your time writing about the Red Sox? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, so I've, I really enjoyed um, what I've been doing for the last year plus. Um, I enjoyed it when it was like part of the bigger picture of like covering the big league team. But, like, I don't miss a lot of, like, the day-to-day grind. I don't miss any of the day-to-day grind. I respect everyone that does it a lot more just by virtue of them still doing it. But, like, thank God I don't have to anymore. Um, it makes me so happy every time something happens and I'm like, oh, thank gosh, that's not me. Um, I have not considered. But, like, when I started working at the Red Sox spiraling site, I did Sox Prospects. It was in, like, 2010 of the, like, spring of 2010. And they had spent a ton of money in drafts. And they had – real, real legit prospects. You know, that was like, you know, Bogarts was, Bogarts was just coming onto the scene. Mookie Betts was becoming a dude, like Jackie Bradley. Um, gosh, who else was in that mix? Uh, Blake Swihart didn't really pan out, but he was a first round. That was the year they had four first rounders and like they did a pretty decent job um, in that draft. Matt Barnes was in there too um, on the pitching side. Um, I see a little more that organization, like the red, those Red Sox, and like it's obviously a big distinction <laughs> given what we t- the way we talk about the Orioles now. But like their solution to like their their advantage in player development and like player like scouting and player development was money at that point. That was before the slotting rules. So like there, I remember being in a game and sitting next to somebody in their player development department in Frederick when Salem was in there. Must have been like 2011 or 2012, and he turned over to me and we like we have 10 million dollars like on the infield right now, like the four positions and like catcher and, and pitcher were like $10 million. And, and like, you know, the Orioles got to that when Grace and Adley were there. So like it's redundant, but like back then, like without picking first, like you just spend a lot of money on like every round, like they would throw a million dollars at a bunch of guys. And like, they got some good players out of it. So I, and what, what being a little more like dug in and around more um, with the Orioles system versus like, living in Baltimore and seeing like Portland when they came to Bowie or Salem, when they came to, to Frederick, like being in it a little it, cl- closer and seeing it at a little more like granular level. Like there's a lot more, there's like a very cohesive development plan, like with the Orioles that you wouldn't see as much or guys weren't, maybe weren't just weren't, like talking to me as much about. Um, but it's really like, it's not, like just like lip service like they really believe in all the things that they talk about and like that they work on and they say they're going to work on people like talk like coaches talk to me about like coaching hockey and like they talk to me like about me coaching like club hockey like about the same like you're like oh they have to do like challenging practice and i'm like i know you're saying that but like that's like you're you're not like you're not selling me right now like (laughs) it's like but like this is what they legitimately believe in like they and it like has been borne out in the success. And I think that's been the most interesting thing um, as, as I'm thinking about this, you know, they're, they are doing this with high draft picks here. Let's not kid ourselves, but like they also are doing it with like guys they take later in the drafts and, and guys who aren't 
you know, who aren't ranked 35th when they're taking 35th. You know what I mean? Like they're doing it with guys they're identifying um, and they're doing it like as part of a larger plan. And I don't know that the plan was ever that. Um, the Red Sox had great scouts and great player development people, but like I don't think there was as cohesive of a plan as, as you see now with the Orioles. That's a good question. I should think about it more. Vivek, he tends to come up with good questions. Uh, Matt Winter would like to know which prospect do you think will get the first call up of the season? First call up of the season? I'm so going to go with Jordan Westbrook. League debut, I guess. You know, yeah. Like a DL Hall or something like that. Yeah. Uh, does Grayson count? No. <laughs> he, that would be that would be that would be so unfortunate if it does. Uh, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Jordan Westbrook. Um, I just I just think there, are, you know, there are not a lot of needs. You know, if a need arises in April, like there's no need that he can't fill on the infield, um, except for backup first base. <laughs> but uh, but but you know, he can he can he would be. I think he's making a great impression in camp. Um, I think he. You know, if there was a place for him, would be like in the mix right now. But like, just pretty clear, there's not at the moment. So, I think he would be the first one. I'm trying to think of if there's like a pitcher um, who's like kind of like flying under the radar, but nothing seems to stand out in that way. A lot of the guys who haven't debuted yet are or won't be on the opening day roster are already back on the minor league side. So, I, I think I think it's, it seems like a Jordan Westberg answer there. That's something I could say a lot more definitively than I said anything else so far. Uh, I think this is the last listener question here. David Adams wants to know, outside of Gunner, Grayson, and Jackson Holiday, if you could put the John Mioli no-trade clause on three prospects, which three are you choosing? All right. Uh, so outside of the top three, John Mioli no-trade clause. All right. I am going to – all right, I'm putting the no-trade clause on Dylan Beavers. And that's not first. I'm not saying that because, like, he's above whoever I'm going to say next. I don't know who I'm going to say next, but I just saw him on the list I'm looking at first. And, like, I just I just feel pretty strongly that – I feel pretty strongly that, like, that's a match of player and, and player development. And I, that's just – I Dylan Beavers, answer number one. Um, just for, like – just for people who do what I used to do and like kind of still do now, I'm going to put DL Hall on that list because the idea of him going to like another team and like getting to be a starter and being good. And like, it's just, nobody needs that. Nobody needs that. It's not like a me thing. That's just like a everybody thing. Like if DL Hall is going to be a good starter um, for sake of everyone's sanity and like mentions and just like health well-being, like it should be, it should be with the Orioles just so, like, there's no DL jokes. There's no, like, you know, there's no Orioles, another Orioles pitcher going somewhere else. Like, we'll just knock all that stuff out. So Beavers, we'll go Beavers, we'll go DL Hall, and we'll go with – why don't we go, like, a little deeper and say, like – I guess it's not very deep. Oh, this is so tough. I'm so bad at answering these questions, guys. Uh, I don't. I mean, this is like the first time I've gone on that. I haven't asked you how many times I've been on, and like I know it's gonna be never again. So, so, uh, so, uh, so, 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 I know that's the quality of performance I'm giving. Let's say I'll say Basayo. Spring training. I'll say Basayo. It's you. You just keep on. You just keep that. Um, it's also really valuable, so I understand completely why they would, and like I wouldn't begrudge them for doing it um, if it's for a big piece, but. 
but again, that's that's just like a really valuable thing. And I know that they kind of view like things that are very valuable as like if they're this valuable now, they could be more valuable in a year. So maybe I'll I'll adopt that that thinking for this. I started out answering that one really well. No, I like the the DL Hall point is actually a fascinating point that I had never even thought about. What if DL Hall does end up somewhere else? I you, you're talking about the question earlier about Grayson Rodriguez and his success at the major league level this year kind of being the the big thing that says, all right, can the Orioles pitching development work at the next level? Grayson being that first example there. If DL Hall leaves and is successful elsewhere, I don't know how the Orioles rebound from that. When you're talking about developing pitchers. It's, it would just be so annoying. It would just be so like, and like, and you know, everything else, like Dylan Bundy going to be like the angels pitcher of the year, like after he got traded, like whatever, like I, I wasn't here for like Jake Arrieta or any other stuff, but like, you know, Kevin Gossman, like becoming Kevin Gossman, finally, like it just, it, I understand. I know the history of it. Um, this would be one that just felt like very unfortunate if it played out this way. Yeah, I think that for everybody's well-being, I agree with you, John. We can't, you know, have that happen, and we can't have another civil war over someone at second base in Norfolk again. Um, <laughs> let's not have a repeat of 2021. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's gosh, it's you know, and like you guys, you guys could probably get to experience it a little more than me. I've tried to just like not dive into all that stuff but it's pretty fascinating like the passion for for and against some things and like you know the track record of you know the track record of things that like people who are on the team now have nothing to do with being assigned to to that so i, I just did that with Theo hall and but like it, it's just the less the less conflict the better Completely agree. And John, thank you so much for coming on tonight. This was your seventh appearance. I think in the next episode, you'll break the record and we are going to have you back on. Now, you've got a couple of things to plug. You've got the newsletter and you've got the prospect handbook. So prospect handbook is out now, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's out. Um, I believe it was a print edition, the edition. Um, you know, I came down to Florida for the newsletter to, uh, you know, it was. I, I didn't really do as much as I wanted to in the off season in terms of reporting. I mean, there's nothing like getting, getting into a clubhouse, getting onto the field with with with, the, with you know, and, and talking to people and digging into stories and and I was I was jonesing for that a little bit. Um, these last few days have been awesome. Um, I feel like, you know, unfortunately, I did a little late in late in the spring. There's only like going to be like two plus weeks left by the time I get home to write all these things and get ready for the season. But like, I, 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 it's really been, it's really been fascinating to learn some of the things I did and, and talk to some of the people I have. I think that, uh, I think that, um, I think there's going to be some really cool stories coming out of this and, and I encourage people to keep following along. Yeah. Check that out over at Substack, maximizing playoff odds, the Baltimore Warriors newsletter. John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for bearing with me. <laughs> Always that does it for our show. We will be back next week. Andy Koska of the Baltimore Banner will be joining us. So we're looking forward to hearing from Andy, his insight, everything going on with the Orioles. In between shows, check out our Twitter at BSL and the Birds and head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com where you can catch all the latest coverage on college basketball, the Orioles, football, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board and join discussing with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors to BSL. And we had an appearance with our friend Connor Newcomb over at Locked On Orioles last week with our minor league draft 
That is now posted in two. Be sure to check that out. We will be back next week for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On The Verge. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. Most of us have clothes we've loved for years, maybe even decades, but it's harder than ever to find clothing that will stand the test of time. So before you update your closet this summer, take a look at American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for summers to come. American Giant is made in the USA. That ensures that they can deliver items of exceptional quality, but it also creates jobs across the country. You're not just buying clothes that last, you're helping create a lasting change in the communities where they're made, and a connection to the seamsters, cutters, and factory workers who make them. Discover the American Giant difference today. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your order when you use code LT23 at checkout. That's 20% off at American-Giant.com, promo code LT23. Introducing Carvana Value Tracker, where you can track your car's value over time and learn what's driving it. It might make you excited. Whoa, didn't know my car was valued this high. It might make you nervous. Uh Uh-oh, market's flooded. My car's value just dipped 2.3%. It might make you optimistic. Our low mileage is paying off. Our value's up. And it might make you realistic. Mm, Car prices haven't gone up in a couple weeks. Maybe it's time to sell. But it will definitely make you an expert on your car's value. Carvana Value Tracker. Visit Carvana.com to start tracking your car's value today.